Chapter 5, Cardiology. Topic 7, Aortic Pathologies and Vascular Disease. First, we'll discuss aortic dissection. Let's start by discussing the risk factors associated with aortic dissection. One of the primary risk factors is hypertension. Long-term uncontrolled hypertension exerts excessive pressure on the arterial walls, making them more susceptible to tearing. Patients with connective tissue disorders like Marfan syndrome and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome also face a higher risk due to abnormalities in the connective tissue that support the arterial wall. Additionally, congenital anomalies such as bicuspid aortic valve or aortic coarctation can make individuals more vulnerable to this condition. Other risk factors include physical trauma to the chest, drug use, specifically cocaine, which can spike your blood pressure dramatically, and large vessel vasculitis conditions like giant cell arteritis and Takayasu arteritis. Now let's move on to the signs and symptoms of aortic dissection. The most characteristic symptom is intense, sharp chest pain that often radiates to the back. This is a medical emergency and warrants immediate attention. It's worth noting that while an uncommon finding, a blood pressure differential in the upper extremities could be observed. However, its absence cannot be used to rule out an aortic dissection, so don't rely solely on this as a diagnostic indicator. When it comes to diagnosing an aortic dissection, time is of the essence. A chest x-ray may show a widened mediastinum, although this is not definitive. Confirmatory tests include CT angiography, which is generally preferred if the patient has normal renal function. This will show a dissection flap separating the true lumen from the false lumen. In non-emergency cases, MR angiography can be utilized. Another option is in transesophageal echocardiogram. For treatment, medical management primarily involves controlling blood pressure to decrease the shearing forces acting on the aorta. Beta blockers like labetalol, propranolol, and metaprolol are commonly used. If aortic dissection is suspected, antiplatelet medication should generally be avoided due to the increased risk of bleeding into the false lumen of the dissected aorta. Surgical intervention is typically indicated for ascending aortic dissections, categorized as Stanford type A. Descending aortic dissections, or Stanford type B, may also require surgery if they continue to expand or compromise blood flow to major arteries like the renal or iliac arteries. However, surgery is typically avoided for descending dissections due to the risk of injuring the spinal arteries branching off from the descending aorta. Lastly, let's touch upon some potential complications. Proximal extension of the dissection can result in conditions like aortic regurgitation, pericardial effusion or tamponade, inferior wall myocardial infarction due to involvement of the right coronary artery, and even stroke due to involvement of the carotids. Distal extension of the dissection can lead to renal failure, lower extremity ischemia, or hemothorax, among other issues. Moving on, we will discuss aortic aneurysm. An aortic aneurysm is defined as a dilation of the aorta, measuring more than 3 centimeters in diameter in the abdomen and 5 centimeters in the thorax. A variety of risk factors can contribute to the development of an aortic aneurysm. Smoking is a leading risk factor, as is hypertension. Atherosclerosis, or the buildup of fatty plaques in the arteries, can weaken arterial walls and predispose to aneurysm formation. Family history, ethnicity, and other diseases like polycystic kidney disease can also be factors. Connective tissue disorders such as Marfan syndrome and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, as well as certain infections like tertiary syphilis and inflammatory conditions like medium to large vessel vasculitis, including giant cell arteritis and Takayasu arteritis, can also contribute.
Other rheumatological conditions like spondyloarthropathies and rheumatoid arthritis have been associated with aortic aneurysms. The symptoms of an aortic aneurysm largely depend on its location, be it thoracic or abdominal. Abdominal aortic aneurysms are often asymptomatic, which makes them particularly dangerous. However, some patients may experience abdominal, back, or flank pain, a pulsatile midline abdominal mass, or even ecchymosis. Hypotension and syncope could be ominous signs of impending rupture. For thoracic aortic aneurysms, symptoms may include chest pain and shortness of breath, and you might even hear an aortic regurgitation murmur upon examination. Diagnosis is often incidental, found during imaging studies conducted for other reasons. Abdominal ultrasound is commonly used to visualize abdominal aortic aneurysms, while MRI or CT angiograms provide more detailed images. Management is usually centered around close monitoring and may include surgical intervention depending on the size and rate of expansion of the aneurysm. Medical management consists primarily of risk factor modification. This includes blood pressure control, smoking cessation, and often a statin plus aspirin regimen. Follow-up ultrasounds every 6 to 12 months are also recommended. Surgical options are considered for aneurysms greater than 5.5 centimeters in diameter, rapidly expanding aneurysms, or those causing compressive or erosive complications. In the event of rupture, emergent surgical repair is imperative. Both endovascular and open surgical approaches are available, and the choice between the two depends on anatomical considerations and the risk of perioperative complications. Serious complications include rupture, which can be fatal, atheroembolic disease, and fistula formation including arteriovenous or aortoduodenal fistulas. It's also worth noting that screening via a one-time abdominal ultrasound is recommended for males aged 65 to 75 who have a current or previous smoking history, as this group has been identified as high risk. Next is peripheral artery disease. Peripheral artery disease is a condition that shares many risk factors with coronary artery disease, making it a coronary artery disease equivalent. Thromboangiitis obliterans, also known as Berger's disease, is another risk factor. The disease commonly affects the lower extremities, specifically the buttocks, thighs, calf, and foot, depending on which peripheral artery is involved. Symptoms can range from intermittent claudication, worsened by exertion to lower extremity ulcerations involving the distal toes. Patients may also experience decreased peripheral pulses, atrophied and shiny skin, poor wound healing, and in severe cases, limb ischemia and rest pain. Diagnosing peripheral artery disease usually starts with the ankle brachial index, a test that compares blood pressure in the ankle to blood pressure in the arm. An ABI of less than 0.9 is indicative of peripheral artery disease, and lower values suggest increased disease severity. An ABI greater than 1.3 usually indicates vascular calcification, a condition common in diabetics, and is non-diagnostic for peripheral artery disease. If ABI results are inconclusive, a toe brachial index may be used. An arterial angiogram is generally performed prior to any surgical intervention to pinpoint the severity and location of the lesion. Management of peripheral artery disease often involves both medical and surgical approaches. Medical management includes lifestyle modifications like smoking cessation and strict glycemic control, along with a graded exercise regimen to improve walking distance and overall quality of life. Pharmacotherapy options include first-line treatments such as antiplatelet medications like aspirin or clopidogrel and statins. 
Silostazole serves as a second-line treatment option. Surgical interventions are usually considered only if the patient has failed to respond to medical management. These could involve percutaneous revascularization, surgical bypass, or thrombectomy in cases where the patient develops acute arterial occlusion with threatening limb ischemia.